Hello, welcome back to the PHP Town Hall Podcast. This is episode 12, and you are joined as always by Ben Edmonds, myself, and Phil Sturgeon. Today we have a guest, and this guest is Igor Vedelo, the uh, Igor Awesome on Twitter. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about his work with Silence and uh, an RFC for PHP. So, Igor, tell us a little bit about yourself. I don't really have much to say about myself, to be honest. I'm really crap at describing myself. Well, that's going to be a really short podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, I know you as a, like, a, a fairly high-level Silex contributor, and uh, the another contributor, well, no, the other half of React PHP. Uh, we, had, we had Chris Bowden on, uh, on the podcast a few episodes ago. Um, Correct. And uh, we've also put a, a, got a few other interesting projects like Stack PHP, and um, mm-hmm. we'll talk about some of that stuff later on. But um, the main thing we want to talk to you about today, I guess, is the use uh, use functions RFC, which has been approved, which is awesome. Can you tell us a bit about yeah. that? Sure. So here's the thing: in PHP, we've had functions since the early days. I mean. This was one of the first features that we had. Um, But then classes came along, and classes became this first-class citizen, so now we have all of these Java-style classes with uh, visibility and whatnot, and we have class autoloading. But the problem is, when they added class autoloading and class importing, they didn't add the same thing for functions, which means... Uh, you can't do the same things with classes as you can do with functions. You can't import functions into a local namespace, and you can't autoload them. So effectively, they're a second-class citizen. Uh, And this is one of the things that my RFC tries to address, which is a use-function RFC. So what this RFC does, in essence, is... It allows you to import functions into the local namespace, uh, just as you would do with classes. And there were some tech, like there were some technical difficulties to actually doing this, and that was the reason why it wasn't included in the first place. Uh, and I had to figure out the best way to do this in in a way that's backwards compatible, because as we all know, PHP is just a hack built upon a hack built upon C, which is a hack built upon lots of hacks. <laughs> so, about right. um, yeah, I mean, what we just were, had to, what were the we main had to figure out a way to do that. What was um, the main trouble you came across when you were implementing it? So here's the thing. Um, when, when namespaces were introduced to PHP, classes already existed, right? And um, there weren't really any classes in core PHP yet at that point, or at least not that many. So they just decided that for classes, it would be acceptable that you would have to reference them explicitly with the leading backslash or with the use statement, which is what we do. So every time you use what is the most common example, I don't know, some array object or something, then you need to have the leading backslash when you do you 
array object, right? Yeah, like for exceptions uh, or whatever. Yeah, or exceptions, yeah. I guess that's a better example. And you don't really have that for functions because uh, with functions, since all of PHP, pretty much all of the core is based around functions, they decided that that would be infeasible. So with functions, if you have a name or if you want to use a function in the namespace, the way it works is if you're in a namespace context and you call a function, it will be first looked up in the local namespace. And if it exists there, then that function will be used. But if it doesn't exist, then it will fall back to a global function. So let's say you're in a namespace foo and you call the function uh, string len and it doesn't find it in the, uh, in the local namespace. So it doesn't find foo string len, which means it will look up the global version, which is string len. Uh, so that way you still get to call all of the global functions and you don't really need to worry about, um, well, auto-loading them or, well, this is kind of hard to describe, but um, since, since you have this fallback, you have a problem, right? So this, the fallback was added because you have all of these global functions in PHP. Now the problem is, if you want to define your own functions, then uh, you can do that. But where will they be autoloaded from? If you want to define an autoloader for them, well, then you need to look it up in two places. You need to look it up in the local namespace and in the global namespace, which means potentially for all of the function calls in every PHP project, uh, every single global namespace or uh, every single function call needs to be looked up in two places, which is going to slow everything down. It's yeah, that sounds terrible. So that was the main reason why it wasn't included. Uh, okay, so what does the use function RFC do? What it does is it allows you to import the function, which means that in the context of a namespace, it is fully qualified. And at that point, you know that you want a particular function, like a particular local or particular namespace function as opposed to the global version. And once you have that contextual information, you no longer need to look it up in the global namespace. So that effectively solves the problem of having to look it up. And this was the main reason why I made it, so that we could then move on and implement autoloading. Yeah, so that's, uh, that's being taken care of by um, Anthony Ferreira, although I'm not 100% sure if that's still going ahead. I, I, you notice he rage quit. Rage quit the internet yesterday or something. Uh, the, some, something happened and he yeah. was like, fuck, fuck this, fuck all this, flip the tables. I'm, I'm not uh, quite sure withdrawing. what the status is, to be honest. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully he simmers down um, and sort of, you know, whatever the problem Wait. was is, is resolved. Um, because well, it'd be good to see, see yeah. what the conversation with the after that was? Uh, the last I saw he was arguing with Zach and I was trying to get involved. Oh, was that actually what caused it? I saw that. No, 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 no. That was the last conversation I saw Anthony having. Okay. I'm not really sure what caused it. Hard to tell. I think, uh, I think it was many things. <laughs> well, PHP in terms of hard work, I've been, I've been, uh, I signed up recently 
and I've subscribed. Um, I've been trying to subscribe forever, and even though I subscribed multiple times, I uh, I was never getting any emails. And uh, finally, I emailed one of the guys. I think his name was Sean, uh, one of the webmasters, and he finally gave me access. And now my inbox is just getting absolutely spammed with conversations. <laughs> and it's great to see people uh, working on stuff. And there's a lot of really interesting ideas being thrown around, but there is some petty name calling and a lot of bike shedding and a lot of a lot of arguing on there. Yeah, I just. I just subscribe to the obliged emails, which gives me like 20 emails a day, and that's okay. And I can just skim them for what looks interesting. And I actually do the same thing with the fig. Yeah, I've noticed you started uh, contributing a bit to the fig. Um, would you consider bringing one of your projects in, like come and represent React PHP or something, and contribute to the conversations? No. <laughs> Don't need two places in. Uh, well, yeah, I'm sure the uh, I'm sure the fig will end up making some sort of auto loading function standard once it's in the core. So that'll be a fun conversation that we have to have. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I'm not sure what's the what the best approach there is. I mean, right. the whole idea of um, class map auto loading seems to be a good approach for that. Where you just say whatever, discover all of the functions defined in a certain file and then generate a mapping based on that. That works for me. But if you guys want to do like a, a namespace-based thing where you have a file which essentially represents a namespace and it contains a set of functions and maybe even classes, who knows, and you can uh, you can import that, or you can autoload that as a whole. Maybe that would make sense. I don't know. To be honest, uh, I'm a bit disappointed with how long it's taken for the autoloading proposal to go through. I mean, there's been discussions and arguments for months, uh, and what. what it yeah, seems to be slowly getting there, yeah. That's yeah, true. it but seems that now everyone's for it and just trying to pick an exact implementation. Now, the one on the RFC isn't necessarily the one that will be 100% going ahead, but um, uh, the one on the RFC doesn't look too bad. It's basically a function in... Uh, actually, I can't remember off the top of my head. It's, it's, yeah, it's one function in a, a new PHP namespace which uh, accepts type, and there's some sort of like bitwise operator so you can say what type uh, of thing you're trying to autoload, so you can register it against uh, constants, functions, and classes. So that one, oh, it's like that one function, uh, that one function would like replace SPL autoloaders and shit like that. But uh, for, Ant for Anthony's new proposal, yeah, 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 that's the way he did it. There's two things that I find a bit weird about that, and first one is kind of having one function that mixes in with everything, and having that switch statement seems a little gross. But I guess yeah, benefit. Kind of ugly, to be honest. Yeah. Have you seen it? Have you seen it, Ben? You're looking at the RFCs. No. Yeah. That's no <laughs> use. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's got the one function. You have to put in a switch statement or like ifs or whatever, or however you yeah. handle it. it. Doesn't need to be that pretty, but the other, the other solutions so nice, are three different functions. And there's another one where it's like three different interfaces. So you make one class which has three different interfaces, which adds different methods to your class or something. It's it's hard to work out a decent implementation for it. Yeah, I mean, that's just a detail. The patch in general, like the way it works, looks good to me so far. Yeah, I guess the functions aren't quite so important. But the, the second weird thing is the PHP namespace. You spot that. So 
uh, it's it's one of those really tricky situations where people always say, ah, oh, you know, there shouldn't be so many global functions; they should all be put in a namespace. But uh, you couldn't, in the next version, just go and put all of them into a namespace because that would break every single person's code. And you couldn't just if you put just one of them into a namespace, people are going to troll really hard about like <laughs> it's inconsistent. Um, yeah. So then, if you take it out of a namespace, then none of them are ever namespaced, and we have the same problem forever. So it's really there is no winning solution. It's just the which way people decide to go. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, there's always I mean, whatever we do. That, that's just right. one of the things that everyone is going to have an opinion about. It's like yeah. tabs versus spaces. Oh yeah, I'm so smart. Oh, this is so wrong. <laughs> Let's it's talk in about a namespace. Oh my goodness. Who cares? <laughs> yeah. No, Evie's already had a bit of a troll about um, the, the guy, for anyone that doesn't know Evie, I can't remember what his actual name is, uh, he's the author of the Fractal of Bad Design uh, blog post, which everyone oh, really? loves to fucking quote. Yeah, that's why I followed him, just so I can keep because an eye on his next troll. I think, I think this guy was trolling in some chat room the other day. Oh, we, all three of us were having a, a Twitter chat about the use function stuff, and he was saying, oh my god, PHP just added this. Yeah, yeah, I remember and that. I can't, like, his entire angle was... Uh, it's stupid that PHP has this now. And I was like, well, sure, maybe it sucked that it wasn't there before, but the fact that it's a good thing has been added means we should all be happy about the good thing being added instead of saying, why wasn't it done four years ago? We should have a time machine and go and fix that now. It's a really weird, bullshit argument that he had. Well, what he said was, essentially, it's sad that we actually need to write an RFC for this. And frankly, I agree. I mean... It's kind of stupid that we need to actually do this. How, how do you mean? It's a shame that... Um, he was talking about like import-style stuff. He's saying, like, why don't you get a Python-style import system, which would be nice. But do you think that's what he was talking about? What, what, in what way do you mean it's a shame we have to write an RFC for this? Just in general, uh, the fact that this wasn't included to begin with and the fact that PHP isn't designed and it's just a pile of hacks is kind of sad. Yeah. No, I do agree with that. It's a shame. It was more the, the approach he was taking to it. It's like, by, by running around shitting all over something that's got problems, he you know, seems like a big, funny, clever man. Whereas by trying to add nice, uh, good features to, to a language, it's somehow bad, was the, the gist yeah. I got from it. This seemed a bit weird. but um, Yeah, I think another thing he was saying is about it's a shame that there is such a difference between classes and functions, obviously, in things like Python. You can import, uh, you, it, with the same syntax, you can import oh, really? a class, a, a method, or a variable from any other file. And that's pretty cool, yeah. but PHP is not going to get that. Like, <laughs> version 7, maybe, I guess. One of the things that I referenced in that discussion is, and this is where it gets tricky, uh, Lisp, I think it's Lisp 1 versus Lisp 2. So basically, this is about namespaces. Uh, whether you have uh, functions and values in the same namespace or whether you separate them. And then, of course, you can expand that general concept into functions and classes and interfaces and constants. And the way it is in PHP, you literally have separate namespaces for functions and classes and uh, constants. So that's kind of a mess and the fact that you can't just import constants and functions and classes in the same statement is kind of a shame yeah so, it's, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of an odd thing I mean PHP is one of the few languages I know that has different 
well, one of the few main web languages that has different syntax for different things. So, uh, yeah. for, for for different types of objects, you know. So, uh, if you have um, methods that you're calling, or properties, or uh, local variables, or classes, whatever they are, uh, in Python and Ruby, for example, you can kind of override them and you can get yourself into really weird things if you like define a variable which is the same name as the method you're in in Ruby then it like shits the bed or like they all they all have kind of the same syntax whereas we have constants are probably capital letters but they might not be and variables have a dollar and properties have this thing and it, uh, yeah, it's it doesn't get weird. confusing <laughs> I mean I think I think there's a trade-off there there may be a good reason to keep them separate and if you look at the whole Lisp one versus Lisp two debate, it's, it's like a year old argument that was done twenty years ago, and they already <laughs> fought over this and didn't really come to a conclusion. So I say, it sounds like they're making good headway on that conversation. It, yeah, <laughs> it, it can't be decided conclusively. But the thing is, what did you just drop? Are you? Uh, is that a bottle cap? Yeah. <laughs> Nicely done. Yeah, so they've already fought over all of this, right? And they they really went separate ways. So if you look at the two big Lisp dialects these days, you have Scheme and you have Common Lisp. And one of them unifies those two namespaces and the other one doesn't. So obviously they didn't agree. <laughs> and <laughs> Sod it, fork it. Yeah, that seems to be one. I mean, I think there is a good reason to keep them separate. That reason being that when you introduce local local variables, and this is uh, going back to variables also sharing the same namespace, which in fact you also have in JavaScript, so it, it does kind of make sense to discuss it that way as well. Um, so if they have the same namespace, then you can't define a new function that shares the name with a, a global, or you can't, let me rephrase that. Uh, you can't introduce a new local variable which shares the name with a global function. Right. At least without potential conflicts or potential confusion. Yeah, I mean, when, I, when I was first using Ruby um, a couple years ago, I, uh, I was just trying to make a controller called, uh, there's some sort of user controller, I think it was something to do with OmniAuth and it was doing some OAuth shit, but it was, I basically had a method called session and I was trying to access the session variable and in Ruby it looked, uh, the session variable was just like uh, some argument that's thrown into every every method and it was just li literally the word session inside a method called session. Yeah. Now because I, uh, because I was referencing um, the session variable but I wasn't, it was really the the session argument, because I was refer referencing it inside it before the definition had finished, that value was then null. So even though the session variables were being passed through, I was I was accessing null. Now that's fine. Oh, sorry, nil, whatever. Um, <laughs> that's the problem, right? Like, uh, if you know that it's going to happen, then that's absolutely fine. And all my Ruby friends were like, Bleh. but if you if you don't know the difference and you're not expecting it, you can have some really serious like problems with variables and functions and methods and arguments all having yeah. the exact same syntax. I've, I've had the same experience with uh, with Ruby, to be honest. So I've actually used Ruby quite a bit myself as well, and I had exactly the same thing. Uh, in this case, it was, was with Rails with the fact 
Well, I've had a few different encounters. One of them was the fact that in Ruby, uh, every object has this send method, right? And send mean is is kind of the same thing as call user func in PHP. So that's sending a message to an object, which means calling a method on an object. And I had this controller, which was like a, a mail controller or something, and I wanted to define a send action. But of course, that wasn't possible because send already exists as a method on that object, and it just gave me a really cryptic error message and took me like three hours to figure out just that I was defining something that already existed. <laughs> uh, but I had the same problem as you as well. So trying to access session property or method or variable or whatever because you never quite know in Ruby, yeah, that, that can be quite a mess indeed. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it is just a balancing act. So what's better, organization or ease to get started? This is a lot easier for a beginner if it's, you know, well separated. But, uh, you know, once you know it all, it's kind of nice to have it all there when you need it. Yeah, in general, I do like to have the things unified in a single namespace. That's what I do like about JavaScript as well, that you have everything in a single namespace and... Uh, functions are just values, and you can reference them as such. That's kind of nice. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> JavaScript is uh, can be nice and simple when it wants to be. Yeah, uh, we've had some fun in the office uh, today with JavaScript. Someone was trying to push. Uh, it started off creating an array that was like zero based, so it's just a, a new empty array, and it was zero, and then one, and then they pushed in some items that had string keys. So there were technically four items in there, zero, one, locations, and categories. And uh, the length property was two. It, it got very confusing. <laughs> Whilst JavaScript is wonderful, you can do some seriously fun <laughs> stuff with it. But I don't understand. I'm like looping through it. It would be like, zero, one, that's all there is. No, no, there's nothing else in there. It's like, but you know there is, though. We can see it. Like, <laughs> Well, it depends how you loop, right? Yeah. If you use the for each thing, which is new and there will browser support, or then you can use the other one, which is the for in statement, and that will loop through all of the random crap that was added through the prototype. So mm. it might mess up your code as well. Yeah. Who knows? It's madness. Uh, some some pretty cool JavaScript thing I was looking at is the um, the spread operator. They're implementing the exact same thing that uh, Nikita Popoff is talking about implementing in PHP. So yeah. Uh, another thing, along with another RFC recently, was. Uh, variadic, uh, variadic functions, which is just instead of using func getargs, you just define a variable like dot 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 foo, and then you get all of the all of the arguments that have been passed in uh, just thrown into that as an array, and you can define what type of all those things they should be. Um, so people were freaking out about the fact that it was dot 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 saying no other program language in the world uses that. Why didn't you use a star? And go and see uh, C sharp, I think, and a bunch of others use dot dot dot. So that's not too weird. And then a bunch of other people were freaking out about how it was dot 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 before the function, uh, before the argument or variable name, instead of afterwards. And they're like, nobody else does this. Go as afterwards. Uh, but JavaScript actually has recently implemented it, or at least Mozilla are trying to get it into ECMAScript six or something. But they have the exact same syntax: dot 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 foo into your arguments, uh, mm. and then. And then you can use uh, use the same thing uh, dot 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 whatever to pass it off to another function, 
which is then called a splat operator. And I love the yeah. word splat. It's great. Yeah, and that one, I, I think they use that. And I thought that was a pretty simple syntax. I mean, it makes sense to me. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Instead of fucking around with funk args, you just you know put it into a variable, and then you can document that really easily. Just a little dot yeah. block instead of saying maybe this function takes something or not. Who knows? Woo. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've done it's so not much like it, this is uh, an array. Do this, otherwise, do all this other shit. Yeah, it's not like I use that feature a lot, but. When I use it, it would be nice to have that because usually when I use func get args, I do have some preceding arguments, and every time I use it, I need to, you know, in the function definition, put that thing into a comment, and then in the function or method body, I need to do like um, pop off or, or array shift off all of the values of the previous ones just to to get to get the initial ones at all. The other useful thing you can do is like you can type in on all of the types of object. So if you used to use func get args to say I want a lot of this type of, of object, then you'd have to for each through and then do a instance of check and then throw an exception if it wasn't the right steps. So that's a whole bunch of stuff which doesn't sound very fun at all. Uh, whereas this, you just define the type that you want each of these arguments to have, uh, and then it will do that for you with syntax. Does the RFC actually support type hints? Yeah. Okay. Didn't um, see that. Unless I'm completely insane. No, you can type in at the start, and uh, the 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 examples have array in them, which is a bit confusing. But obviously, it's going to be an array. Uh, like the the args, the the variadic argument, you know, args thing is an array mm-hmm. and will always be an array. Yeah. Uh, but then because can, in PHP you can't say array of something. Right, exactly. So, well, that's, that's essentially what this is doing. Um, it's always going to be an array, so the type hint doesn't apply to that one variable. Yeah. The type hint applies to the contents of those variables. So you can say, make sure that every item that's added in here is a Twitter status or whatever else it is you're doing. Uh, and then it will, if any one of them are busted, then it'll kick it out. Yeah, it's going to be helpful. Um, there's a bunch of people complaining about it. There's, there always is. I, I don't know why people were like, People just bitch so much about nice things being added to PHP. Whenever something comes along, like the get a set of syntax, like something nice comes along, and everyone goes, "No, you can't have it. You have to write a hundred lines of boilerplate for this basic feature forever." Fuck you! And it just—it does my head in, man. People Do you get this much? Yeah. We don't want nice things. <laughs> okay, so what do you guys think about functions in general? I don't. I don't use them a whole lot by themselves, like when I'm asking around just making some little project, it's usually mostly procedural with a few functions and then if it ends up being big and I need MVC or whatever then I install some framework. But I don't know personally how much I'm likely to use autoloaded functions just because so many of my projects are incredibly oop based. Yeah, same here, I mean, half the time I'm using MVC and if not, it's very small. It's small, you know. It's only a couple files usually, so it's uh, well, not probably not your ideal customer for this. Mm. How about you? Um, what I've done so far is mostly the same, but recently I've been more interested in in different programming paradigms and looking into functional programming as well. And if you look into how that works, it is quite a bit different. Let's, let me put it this way. 
in some ways it's quite different to OOP and in some ways it's actually quite similar. So the main way in which it's different is uh, in how you deal with state. When you have objects, usually, or at least in most programming, in, in most object-oriented programming languages, objects are stateful. Objects have some sort of state that they hold internally and they hide it. Whereas in functional languages or in a functional style, it's more about having values and separating functions and data as opposed to combining them to one. Now, um, these sound like really different ideas and somehow incompatible ideas, but I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think you can actually apply lots of these functional principles to object-oriented programming as well. And when you look at how... Um, if you look at testable code, or if you look at the solid principles or, in general, advice on how to design your object-oriented programs, then quite many of those suggestions and recommendations actually kind of correspond to functional principles, which I'm just going to summarize real quick as, I guess, avoid mutable state in general and if you need to use it, isolate it, separate I.O. from um, from computation. That's how I would summarize it. And if you look at how you achieve testable code, that's generally what you do. You take the stuff that you don't want to run in a test case, which generally I.O.-related, so database calls, um, interacting with the file system and whatnot, and you isolate that and you move uh, the code that generates whatever result or whatever value is going to be written into those files or sent to that database, isolate that, uh, move that into a different file or a different method or function. And at that point you've basically applied functional principles. Hmm. That's pretty slick. So instead of like trying to mock your, your database interaction stuff or mock a Facebook scraper, whatever the hell it's doing, um, you just literally put all those different files in a diff uh, all those functions in a different file, and then you, yeah. tell it to, you tell it to hit your fake ones instead. So it kind of has the same input-output, it just looks like it, and then it just... Huh. Yeah, that sounds pretty simple. Just uh, it seems a bit strange. Like it's, it seems almost like going backwards. You know, everyone everyone has it in the in their heads that MVC is king and OOP is king. You know, let's do all this stuff. And um, yeah. it's it's actually a, an interesting problem that we have in PHP. That we were talking about it on the last episode that like people have gone from not unit testing anything ever to like way over testing and like making almost overly complicated OOP structures just so they can unit unit test every single damn line of code. Um, and like they have this oop madness with five hundred setters all over the place, and and uh, and then to, for people to be saying, oh, actually, you know, go back to just using functions and just include a different file for your testing stuff. Right. You know, it's, it's interesting to see people going back that way. Yeah, uh, interesting story about uh, TDD. Ken Beck, one of the guys who actually, in, I believe, he's one of the guys who actually coined the term. Um, this is famous Stack Overflow question 
where he answers that he aims to test as little code as possible because, well, you need to test the things that actually matter and let's face it, writing tests costs time. So you need to, well, you need to have some confidence and you need to identify the parts that really matter. If you're testing your getters and setters, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it <laughs> wrong because, for one, you have getters and setters. Uh, and because you're testing them. <laughs> yeah, right. Doesn't sound very fun at all. Uh, the Zach Kitzmiller from the Seek uh, from Seek Geek, uh, his approach, well, their approach is like they don't write any fucking tests, and when something breaks, they write a test for it. Um, mm-hmm. So that's that's one way of doing it that, that to me maybe seems extreme, but you get a lot of people that sit on their high horse and preach about how important testing are, and I completely understand that they are often very important. But at the same time, their company is making a fuckload of money and it's you know, turning into a massive revenue with extremely high traffic and things very rarely break. Uh, so it's, it's, it's interesting to, that everyone has such like polar opposite or, or different shades of opinion about how testing works. But um, it is definitely good that people are having the conversation in PHP now as opposed to a few years ago when no one bothered with anything. Um, it's a step forward, I guess. Yeah, I'd rather have people... Um, actually trying it and dealing with with unit testing than not not having any experience at all. I mean, if you can say I've tried it and it didn't work, to me that is more valuable than I think it won't work. Right. Or I've spent um, you know for the last year I've been unit testing the shit out of everything I do, and I've realised that I haven't actually caught that many bugs. <laughs> maybe yeah. I'll maybe I'll just test a little bit less next time, or I'll test this type of uh, component, or I'll, or I won't bother mocking my database, or I I won't test every single part. Maybe I'll just you know use Behat to 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 check I'm getting the right responses from the server, stuff like that. You know, you gotta people have to try or try different types of testing and get experience with it before uh, before they can really understand what they need to test. Because when you start out, you just test everything all the time, and it's fucking madness, and it takes like three times as long to get anything done. Um, that's no help for you. That's no help for your clients. It's no help for anyone. You know. Uh, awkward silence. Yeah, there's always an awkward silence where it's usually people just go, "Yes, I concur." <laughs> oh yeah, I completely agree with what you just said. Yeah, nothing to add to this. Uh, got into another argument with Anthony Ferreira. And he was explaining. Uh, that happens Zach. like every day. Again, have, like a chart on <laughs> seriously. Wall, so me, me, Zach, and uh, me, Zach, and Anthony seem to get into arguments quite a lot. Mostly, uh, like me and or Zach anyone. against Anthony. Well, yeah, me and anyone <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't take any to trolls. But um, <laughs> no, Anthony's uh, Anthony's no troll. But the conversation we were having was the similar sort of thing about like how some people over test and it's annoying and. Uh, and it was a bit odd that Anthony was getting uh, Anthony was coming from the opinion that uh, you should always unit test everything because if you don't you're doing a disservice to your clients right and and how you should always try and uh, do the best code possible and everything has to be totally solid and, and you can't just ship crap uh, and then Zach was coming from the opinion of my clients don't have all that much money and they want to just get the finished project done right and he's not going to Zach's not going to want to lose out on the contract he's not going to say oh no I won't be able to do this project for you in the, in the time that you need because uh, it will cost too much or take too long. Yes. So he doesn't want to do that. So there are there are corners that you cut, and unfortunately, a lot of the time testing is that corner, and and that 
did not sit well with Anthony. And it doesn't sit well with a lot of people. I'm sure Chris Hatches would like scream at me for saying that. Uh, but it, it, it's often the case that there are priorities. And uh, the tweet I, I used to like summarize it was, uh, sometimes uh, my clients want a hundred dollar steak and sometimes they want uh, one dollar chicken nuggets from the drive-through, right? Like sometimes people just want cheap stuff that just about does the job and chicken nuggets just about do the job. They'll keep you vaguely alive, uh, but they're not going to be amazing for you. They're not going to do everything you need. It might be a little bit dodgy, but, <laughs> but it's, it's, you, you, have to, you have to provide what people want and that didn't all go in the tweet. That would be very long. <laughs> Yeah, but I definitely agree. But I can also see Anthony's case, and it really just depends on where you're at. You know, if you're an agency with way too much more work, then you know, sure, turn down people if they don't have the money or the time to to write good tested code if that's the stance you want to take. Yeah. But if, like in Zach's case, I imagine he was freelancing on the side or something like that, mm-hmm. and you know, I doubt he has thousands of customers or anything like that. So just kind of take what comes along and help people where they're at. And just because yeah, someone yeah. doesn't have the money and time to pay you thousands of dollars to write tests doesn't mean they you know, don't have a good idea or a good product either. Well, that was, that was pretty much it. Yeah, that was my point. It's like there, there are so many different circumstances in which people can work. You can work for yourself. You can work on a pet project. You could be working for a massive uh, multinational corporation. You could be working for a small startup. You could be... There's all these different ways of doing things, and for all of those different scenarios, there are completely different ways of going about things. So, um, Anthony, was it like ABC, NBC he works for, like big fucking company, and he manages a lot of people. If you manage like a team of developers, then obviously you're going to want to, and you're of the, and, and you like unit tests, right? Then obviously you're going to have the time and the resources and the money to say, we need to do this shit, this is important. Um, but if you're in a small company and you've got deadlines to hit, probably you might not have that same time. And, um, an interesting article that uh, we've, I've mentioned a few times on here, I think, is um, you always need, uh, you, you definitely need to test, but maybe not now. And it's all about sort of write your code, get it working, then unit test when you can, as much, yeah, if, you, if you can. Often it's like write your code and then the client comes with new requirements and you don't really have the time to test it. Yeah, um, and then you find yourself rewriting the application and you're very happy that you never wrote the, the tests for the first application in the first place. <laughs> Well, the thing is, I think it also depends a lot on what you're actually developing. I mean, if it's if it's some CMS application or some semi-static site, WordPress brochure, like it just has content on it and it doesn't actually have any behavior, then who cares about testing? At that point, well, right. okay, there's some content in there. I don't care if if or I don't want to write a test that the content that I just copy-pasted from the Word document into HTML is actually there, right? That's the thing, people do that. Uh, I was talking to somebody the other day about they wanted, uh, they, they said, how do we any continuous integration systems we can install without the command line? I was like, why would that ever be the case? And they're like, oh, well, we've got this WordPress site and we just want to, like, run Jenkins against it, but it's on a VPS, so how do we do it? I'm like, no, I don't understand what you're doing. This is and they just, they literally wanted to like use VHAT and Jenkins to test that their website was still up on different pages. I said, dude, just use Pingdom. <laughs> That's what you need. Like, it's this whole mindset that, that testing, yeah, everyone has to do the test all the time, everything, and, and you don't. If it's a WordPress site, you fucking don't. Um, 
And, and yeah, if, you, if you're building components, like if you're going to release some little component or like a framework or something that's like pretty generic, and especially if it's not touching any databases, then you can unit test the balls off, off of that component. Um, and that like increases people's, uh, um, increase people's opinions of it and it will give them more confidence that your component's awesome because you've got a thousand percent coverage and stuff like that. So yeah, it's definitely the type of thing you're making, I guess. Well, that's one part. And I guess the other part is testing at the right level of abstraction. Because if, if you're making something that has uh, a really high-level public interface and then has some really weird implementation, you shouldn't really care about testing that implementation. You shouldn't care about all of the weird details that are in there. And of course, this depends on exactly what it is, but um, in, in general, you should focus more on the interface and test on a higher level as opposed to testing all of the weird low-level stuff. No, I, I agree. There's, no, that makes any sense. It makes perfect sense. Sorry, I was just getting um, a handful of little golden fish crisps and I've got them. Face full of food now. Um, no, I was working on something called um, Color Extractor, which is just a really simple package that some other dude made and brought to the to the League of Extraordinary Packages. <laughs> and uh, the um, is that does, a thing? Yeah, it's a thing. Um, Apparently, it's a thing just for pretentious assholes. Though. It's it's an elitist yeah, club of sounds uh, like it. It's an old boys club where we welcome you in with a cigar. Uh, no women allowed. And you're uh, not old. <laughs> <laughs> Twenty five. I feel like I'm getting old. Um, no, it's uh, it came up with the idea a little while ago, um, and it's just basically me and a couple of buddies and a few other people that make really good packages that, that aren't quite getting enough coverage that we thought we could kind of bring into the fold. And we all release packages under under this namespace and under this you know packages namespace and uh, put them on the website and people can find them and use them. And, and then we've got some pretty cool stuff on there so far, like the only uh, PSR two um, spec compliant, like actual OAuth two spec compliant server that PHP has is on there, and it's really useful. Um, a bunch of other stuff, but this, this color extractor thing we're working on, uh, it literally just, you give it an image, and then it gives you back uh, X number of uh, hex codes from it, so you can evaluate stuff. Uh, there isn't one of those in PHP so far, which is why I was so excited when I saw it. Um, and there's loads of really complicated code in there, like if you look at some of the maths that's happening, some of the stuff, like to get saturation levels, and there's words that I don't even understand in there. Um, and it's really complicated, but it's pretty much an iceberg class. Like it's just got uh, it's got a client layer, which is like load a JPEG, load a load a GIF, whatever. And then it does a whole bunch of crazy shit on the on the inside, and then it returns that array of colors. So I thought, well, I can I can break a lot of all these methods down and unit test each of these methods and make sure the exact mathematical operation in each one of these little methods is doing the exact right thing. Or I can have a look at the um, look at the results, make sure that like the top if I say get me three colours from an image with SpongeBob in there, then I probably want yellow, blue and brown. Uh, so look at the results, mark them down, and then if I change anything and suddenly it's like red, then that's a problem. So if you know it's literally just yeah. testing the inputs outputs and not necessarily unit testing every single line of code because I don't really care as long as it gives me the right result. That does make sense, but it also sounds like an elitist bunch of douchebags. <laughs> yeah, something like that. 
it's a reference to the um, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. They've like just some cool people with some cool powers uh, that like go around saving the world. Have you ever seen that movie? It's got Sean Connery in it. He's awesome. Superpowers. Yeah. Speaking okay. of uh, douchebaggery, while Igor is here, we should talk about YOLO PHP. Oh yes. <laughs> Uh, what was that? You were giving a talk about it in uh, in Newcastle, and I spent the entire time trying to fix my server out in the hall. Oh yes, so I actually made my own PHP framework. Shame on me, but I named it YOLO, so that makes up for it. Nice. Uh, so YOLO is pretty much a clone of Silex, but it tries to fix some of the design mistakes in Silex. Yeah. Uh, so. And it also tries to fix a name because, you know, the original name is terrible and the new name is a lot better than that. Is YOLO really, you only live once, is that what you're doing? Absolutely. Ah, dick. <laughs> <laughs> um, are you going to have a, like, consistent naming theme? So with fuel, it was oil and and um, cell for packages and shit like that. And Laravel's got, like, artisan and all these other crazy fluent and eloquent type words. Are you going to have, like, YOLO and then, like, what's up? And other nah. silly... Th those guys are douchebags. I'm just going to use Composer. Okay. <laughs> okay, plan. So it's Silex-E, but a bit better. Is there any benefits well, to the end user? It's Silex, but it tries to fix some of the issues. So one of the big... Uh, issues in size right now, and it's not a real issue, it's more of a theoretical thing, is that it kind of conflates the application class uh, responsibility with the container. So you have this thing, Silex application, and Silex extends Pimple, Pimple being the DI container that Silex uses. And the thing is the fact that the application class, which is already kind of conflating different responsibilities, so it's already doing quite a bunch of stuff, is also extending from the container. That's kind of bad. So it's really doing too much. So in yellow, that is based on composition, where the yellow application just takes a container instance and then delegates to whatever services on that container. So this cleanly separates those two responsibilities and makes, um, I think it also makes it easier to understand. And then the other issue is that since Salix uses Pimple, uh, the problem is that with Pimple you don't have a clear separation between um, what I like to call compile time, but it's not really compile time, so this is since we're talking about PHP, it's kind of fake compile time. Uh, but it's a separation or a distinction between compile time and runtime, where a compile time, or you could also call it construction time if you, if you like, is the construction of the object graph. Uh, or actually, it's more about the, the, the um, definition of the object graph, where you define all of the services and then you instantiate them. So you keep those things separate. You have one phase where you define all the services, and then, and that is the, the theoretical compilation phase, and then you have the actual 
runtime where you run those services and you instantiate them and you use them, and that is the runtime uh, thing. So with YOLO, it keeps those two things separate, which means that if you, or it means that you are not able to create a service during compile time, and you're not able to define services during runtime. So it it essentially separates those two concepts, which prevents a lot of a lot of issues because quite a lot of the problems that we've had in just you know Salix's support of people that were trying to just use Salix, they just, they just run into all of these issues. Like I was trying to define the service during the request and it didn't work because it already existed or because it wasn't created in the right order or whatnot. And by having those things strictly separated, you avoid so many problems. That because sounds horrible. You don't need to care about things already existing and then being redefined and whatnot. Right, that's going to have some performance boost as well, right? If it's not trying to worry about com compiling things as you go, you just define them first and then it's job done. Might, but... That's not really the point. <laughs> okay. Well, the main question I have about YOLO is, um, uh, is it a micro-framework and is it web-scale? It is a micro-framework and it is web-scale. <laughs> I was only asking because I saw your Silex blog post uh, about how micro-framework is a bullshit term that doesn't actually mean anything. And I completely agree. Yeah, it most doesn't of the really. Most of the time, micro-framework just means we don't have as many features as the other framework. But... Um, it's a complete, like, varying thing. There is no definition. There's no line that you cross. It's like, and now it's a full-stack framework. Because you see micro-frameworks with, uh, with ORMs and stuff, and you're wondering kind of how, what the micro part means, right? Yeah. Well, the thing is, if you look at, if, if you look at uh, Sinatra, which is pretty much the mother of all micro-frameworks, because that's the Ruby, the, the original Ruby project that started all of that crap, then um, if you compare the metrics of that to, say, Silex, then they're pretty much identical. So they load about the same amount of code. They have about the same amount of lines of code that they actually ship. Ben? <laughs> Say something. I think he's gone. Ah, fuck him. Um, <laughs> I ordered this metallic silly putty stuff that comes with this magnet. So I've been playing with that this whole time. You sit in there playing with magnets. Motherfucker. Good input. Well, I'm sat here trying to eat some oats and honey bar, and uh, while I'm sure it's healthy, it's the most boring thing I've ever fucking eaten. Someone will find me a burger. I'm getting mad. So I've noticed stack BHP, and it looks pretty cool. I'm guessing it's kind of kind of like rack. Uh, Yep. Why, why is it that PHP needs a, a port of Rack or something similar to Rack uh, when it already does web stuff out of the box? So let me just explain really quick what Stack PHP does. So basically it is the most complicated way to do something before and after a request. That's kind of how I would sum it up. That's a good start. Um, <laughs> but the thing is, so PHP already has an HTTP abstraction, which is called the SAPI, and that's built into the engine, unlike pretty much any other language. So 
since PHP is built for the web, it does have this SAPI thing, which represents HTTP and allows you to plug in different backends, such as CGI, FCGI, the built-in web server, and whatnot. Now, what Stack PHP does is, which pretty much just models, it does the same thing that Rack does for Ruby. It models the HTTP request and response in uh, some data structures in the language. So the request is just an object in PHP, and so is the response. Which means that in your code, you have this request object, and you can fetch all of the data from there, as opposed from some super global. And the same thing happens for the response. So instead of calling echo and exit and header and whatnot, you return a response object. So you're actually dealing with values. You represent these messages as actual values in PHP code. And what you what the idea of stack is, so this is none of this is stack at this point. That's just HTTP foundation. But what stack does is it comes in and it says, let's base this new concept on top of HTTP Foundation, which actually also already exists. It's called the HTTP kernel. So there's an HTTP kernel interface that, uh, that is available as a Symfony component. This interface simply tells you any PHP application is just uh, an object or a function, in a sense. It's, it's almost like a function, a function that takes a request and returns a response. So you can think of it as a function. So if any application is, or if, if any application operates that way, and if a framework actually implements this, that means that you can uh, simulate requests against this application by sending a request, then you get back a response and you can look at that object because it's an actual object in PHP as opposed to a um, call to echo and whatnot because you can't really look at that, right? Yeah, I mean, that was one of the parts that sucked the hardest about CodeIgniter and was something that could just never be changed. It's like uh, the... The way the output was handled was you had to just echo it out of your methods and then it would do some output buffer catching and then maybe try and do some GSIP impression, uh, compression afterwards and all this other stuff. But it was always you echo it out and have to handle everything manually. You can't like yeah. return a response that says, this header will be JSON because you have to actually just start outputting those headers. Uh, which exactly. Sucks. So the problem is you have no control. You have no control what this echo thing does because it just does echo and you don't know like you can't access that information but if it implements http kernel then you can access that information because it's encapsulated well it's not really encapsulated because it's not hidden from you but it's inside of this request object and you can just access it right away now this is where stack php comes in because what stack is all about is wrapping around an existing application. So think of your favorite framework as um, an application that takes a request and returns a response. And in fact, there's quite a lot of PHP frameworks that already work this way. So you have Silex, you have Symfony, you have 
Drupal 8 that also implements this interface. You have uh, Laravel 4, which in theory implements it and is now working towards actually making this shit work because it's kind of broken right now. But what do you mean? It will be fixed. Um, <laughs> what's, what's the discrepancy at the moment? What did Taylor do? The problem is that some parts depend on the request that aren't actually part of the request. Like, um, uh, how do I describe this? It takes a request in the constructor, which means you can't simulate requests against it because it, it kind of already assumes that there's only going to be one request, right? Okay, so things like HMVC are like, affected because you can only ever have one instance of this thing. No, no, no. I mean, you, right. you could do something like HMVC um, with a dynamic request instance, but the problem is that it, it there's quite a few places that assume there's only ever going to be one request. And okay. that's the real problem. But there's a work in progress in fixing that. So that should probably be resolved for Laravel 4.1. Cool. Yeah, so anyway, there's quite a few frameworks that implement this. And the idea of stack is reuse at this layer. So it's reuse at the HTTP layer. And what I'm really about is making those things generic and making them reusable and no longer depending on specific frameworks, but instead having, instead having them either as individual reusable standalone libraries or if you need to do something at the HTTP layer, which sometimes you do, then at least having something that is somehow composable. Yeah, man, this is exactly why I'm confused that you um, you aren't joining the fig. I mean, bringing something like Stack PHP over or, or something like that. We're currently trying to, well, we were previously working on a HTTP message PSR to kind of ratify a lot of what the HTTP kernel is doing and add in other functionality that's required. And uh, that one kind of died a death a while ago, but now that we have this new workflow in place where stuff kind of goes through draft and accepted and all this other shit, um, I'm trying to push it again to get a HTTP message going, and you'd definitely be able to help out with that situation. Because um, what a lot of what the figure doing are trying to, f first step is remove a lot of the differences between different frameworks um, and allow sort of package developers to, to you know bring their implementations closer together. Um, it sounds like a lot of the work you're doing is in the very, very similar ballpark to what the figure doing. Honestly, to me, there's a bit too much politics involved. Mm, there have been for a while because we had no workflow. It just sucked, and everyone was just people didn't know what to do, and there was bylaws about bylaws and a bunch of other noise. But now people are getting down to work, and we're working on PHP documenter uh, standards, which would be really useful for PHP. Uh, the PSR cache is back to it, and. Uh, as you saw the other autoloader. So yeah, trying to avoid the politics is, is a hard job. But what would be useful is if you were to, um, if you were to edit, uh, be an editor for the HTTP uh, message PSR, you wouldn't actually need to be part of the fig at all. Um, and you wouldn't have to subscribe, you wouldn't have to read all the messages and do all the shit. You could just, just work on that. Uh, I or somebody else could be the coordinator to help like represent it for the fig and then you know you get it get it pushed through and it'd be really helpful um but we're thinking about it at least because i reckon php could benefit from a proper standard on http messages yeah I, I don't disagree with 
most of the things the figures produced so far. I think they're generally okay. Um, I'm not sure if the the general design by committee approach is kind of fundamentally flawed. Right. But well, that's that's the point. I mean, that's why we've gone to this new workflow um, that I put. Yeah, but it's it's, it's still it's, a no. It's, sense, it's still a committee. It it mostly is. I mean, essentially, it's a working group of three people. Um, and then other people are able to get involved if they want. But then the the coordinator has the ability to say, "No, shut up! You're you're just making noise at this point," and then put it in for a, uh, for review. So what's going to happen with the cash is people that are interested in the cash are kind of going to put some opinions forward. If there are two, three, five different conflicting approaches, then eventually the coordinator is going to throw out a vote and say, "Which one of these approaches are we going for?" And then everyone has to shut the hell up once we've decided on going with that one. So this new workflow has knocked out a lot of the. A lot of the bullshit and a lot of the, you know, like, I want it my way, I want it my way, well, fine, we'll never have it anyone's way. Um, so the group's getting a lot, a lot less troublesome now. So uh, we just uh, took a quick break there uh, because bladders are a thing. Um, and now that I've finished trying to jam uh, fig down <laughs> Eagle's throat. So I'm, actually, one thing, I'm really upset. I'm, I'm currently podcasting from, um, from my office. And so when it sounded like a bar earlier, that was people incredibly noisily leaving the office, even though they could clearly see I'm on a microphone. Um, and somebody's left a pizza in the kitchen by the fridge, not in the fridge, by the fridge, that says, please do not throw away. And there's, <laughs> there's half a pizza in there. And I'm thinking, who the, why are you going to leave a pizza out where it's going to go off with a sign saying, nobody touch this shit? When I could just eat that right now, I don't understand why people are doing that. I'd it say so. You don't eat it. It says don't throw it away. Do yeah. I just eat a slice? Do I just suck it up and? Because I want that pizza. So um, uh, thought... where are you located? You're in Switzerland. Yes. Are you from there? In in Winterthur, Switzerland. It's in the Zurich area. So it's near big Zurich city. What's the PHP scene like there? Got a decent uh, user group? Not really invented to itself, but there's a few couple meetups in Zurich. So, yeah. I usually just go to the JavaScript meetups and talk PHP there. That works for me. Just basically the same thing. <laughs> because JavaScript is everywhere, and nobody likes to admit they're a PHP developer, but at the end of the, at the, end of the day, that's what we do, right? Yeah, it's all the same shit anyway. You should be calling yourself a web developer, not a PHP developer anyway. It's weird and tribal. Um, and that stupid ass note seems like a pretty good place to wrap this up because uh, we've, yeah. we've been blathering about code for a while now and that's more than anyone can deal with in their life. Um, thanks very much for coming on the show, dude. It's good to talk to you again. Uh, thanks for having last me. Last time we were nice and drunk in, in Newcastle. Um, that was a pretty funny night. I think it just every one of the speakers stayed, but everybody else wandered off for some reason, and we, we were faced with the challenge of finishing up a bar tab that never seemed to end, so I had a headache the next day for sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I barely made it back home. Madness. Uh, so. I actually had to run for my train. <laughs> for my plane, that is. Oh, I stayed out until four with some French dude whose name I've forgotten, and, uh, and we went clubbing, and it was hilarious. But, uh, yeah, anyway, <laughs> on that random note, uh, good talking to you guys. And listeners, come back next week for uh, next time for more PHP stuff. All right, thanks, Cheers. Igor. Thanks, everyone. Later.
Ain't nobody got time for Swiss cheese. It's all about cheddar. Not American cheddar, real cheddar.